0: Stay tuned now for a special edition of the Ecology Hour with the Mendocino Trail Stewards.
1: I read it in the paper today, we'll sacrifice the birds for someone's job and...
2: Hi, welcome. Uh, my name is Paul Shulman, and I'm here as the guest host for the Ecology Hour tonight. Uh, I'm also a member of the Mendocino Trail Stewards, and uh, we have guests with us today. And our subject is Jackson Demonstration State Forest, and. Uh, all of the proposed logging that is set to start anytime uh, and go on for a number of years throughout the uh, especially western uh, portion of Jackson Demonstration State Forest. So uh, that'll be our subject tonight. Uh, Mendocino Trail Stewards is a group, a uh, local group here uh, based in Casper. And uh, we're trying to get the word out about what uh, CAL FIRE has planned. And, um, and then we're looking at ways that we can help uh, mitigate what the impacts of their plans might be. We're joined uh, by some great allies in our effort. Uh, Tom Wheeler, Executive Director of EPIC, which is the Environmental Protection and Information Center, and uh, he's a graduate of the University of Washington School of Law with a concentration on environmental law. He was, uh, he's the former president of the Environmental Law Society and served as articles editor of the Washington Journal of Environmental Law and Policy, and uh He defended old growth and endangered species at the Washington Forest Law Center. We're also joined by Matthew Simmons, also of EPIC. He's the legal fellow there, graduate from UCLA School of Law with uh, specializations in environmental law and public interest law. And he's a grateful defender of northern california's magnificent forests. We're also joined by Chad Swimmer, educator, musician, forester, forager, not forester, occasional web designer, animal husband, but no don't worry not in that way, gardener, senior, senior science uh, citizen scientist and cyclist. He's uh, been a Mendocino County resident for 35 years jackson demonstration state trash hauler and president of the mendocino trail stewards and we're also joined by sam goldberger also part of the trail stewards and uh he uh has a phd in neurophysiology from princeton and uh he uh after he had a private practice he realized that Rather than helping people adjust to a world out of balance, he decided to explore how to help rebalance the world. He worked at uh, Lawrence Berkeley Labs and of solar architecture, and then as executive director of the American Council for Energy Efficient Economy. And then children's environmental education, windmill installation, and then uh, finally recognizing the importance of capital flow in shaping the relationship between human and natural communities. He works with the World Bank and the Grameen Bank of Bangladesh, focused on domestic sustainable development and ecosystem services valuation. So those are our guests for the evening. We'll uh, try to uh, break our presentation a little bit after 7.30. Uh, to take your calls and uh, thank you so much for joining us and with that I'll go ahead and turn it over to Chad Stewart President of the I mean Chad Swimmer President of the Mendocino Trail Stewards.
3: Thank you Paul it's funny you say Chad Stewart somebody actually sent a comment to uh, Mike Powers of JDSF and wrote Mr. Chad Powers and I noticed on it that I didn't want to send something back because I didn't want to mortify her, but I am famous for speaking very quickly because I have a lot to say, but I really want to have the other people say a lot. I am the president of Mendocino Trail Stewards and one of the co-founders, but I am really um, honored by everybody in this group. It it is an incredible group of people with a lot of experience and knowledge in a, a number of different areas. And we are really supporting each other in what seems to be an amazing uh, uh, budding movement that i didn't expect and we are grassroots we uh, are really grassroots we have lots of people contributing contributing money we have three thousand signatures and this is in a small town and signatures on our petitions we had one petition that we had to scrap because of the website but then we have a new one and we are rapidly getting more signatures for our petition is calling for a 20,000 20, acre redwood forest reserve in the western part of jackson with um, mandates the primary mandate of ecosystem restoration and carbon sequestration and non-motorized restoration non-motorized recreation but um hopefully you all know about that and if you don't know about that i'll tell you later more how to find out but just to say now go to our website which is mendocinotrailstewards.org it's extensive and it has lots of different things you can look at and learn from and i have learned a lot in putting that website together we are um, as paul said we are trying to raise public awareness of what's happening in jackson state and jackson demonstration state forest is the largest of the state forests in California. It is 78 square miles or uh, 48,652 acres. It is a demonstration forest. And what that means is that they are demonstrating um, what originally was called sustainable timber harvest. And when it was founded in 1947, the, the whole area was pretty much cut over. And so what they were doing was sustainable. But the way we look at it in the year 2021 is really different. And um, there is a lot of good science that's coming out of Jackson, but there is a lot of really sloppy timber harvest going on. And um, a lot of commercial timber harvest, their primary mandate on a, they have a 441 page management plan on page one, it says we are a commercial timberland. And then there's, the ensuing pages there's a lot of really great things said but there's not a lot of teeth and they're not following their plan very well but it's not it's not something you can litigate because the the plan itself doesn't have language that's binding so it says this is what we're trying to do but it doesn't say this is what we must do what uh, we are doing right now is we have distilled our focus to try to get what we are calling our three-point proposal. And I have met with State Senator McGuire, and I have met with Jared Huffman's office, and even though he is not, um, doesn't have much bearing on state forests, he is still on board. Mike McGuire is going to, and may even be in the process of taking this proposal to CAL FIRE. CAL FIRE is aware of our proposal, and it is in, brief three points in recognition of the dire climate emergency we're facing and the fact that logging is well understood to be one of the most substantial contributors to climate change of all the activities that humans engage in and really the well-qualified broad-based long-standing opposition to cal fire's management practice practices in jackson and its lack of adherence to the many sound research-based recommendations in its management plan but really, it's resistance to meaningful public input. It is really, it is through the proper channels, impossible to stop a timber harvest plant in Jackson. The only way you can stop one is through litigation or direct action. And direct action can only slow it down. Litigation really only slows it down because then they move somewhere else and do it somewhere else. And they have told us such. Um, and this is what sam would get into that the fact that in overall economic terms these forests are really worth more to the county standing than logged and they're worth more to the human race and the planet standing than logged and that right now there is quite a bit of mounting social tension in the surrounding areas that's coming to the fore with the initiation of logging and when i wrote this i said this spring and summer but it is dry it is not looking like it's going to rain anymore logging season is starting and what that means is, is that at least two timber harvest plans are about uh, to uh, initiate to commence operations there are some other ones that were already in operation last year that are going to continue there may be some other ones the two that are really um we're thinking about is casper 500 which is right next to lots of people's houses there's large trees that are striped for a cut and they're within a half mile of residences. And the, this is an area that according to their management plan, when they do single tree selection, which is such forest treatment that they're gonna do, they come back in um, around 15 years later. And the last time this area was logged was seven years ago. So they're just busting back in and they left pretty much of a mess. There is quite a fire mess there, fire prone mess there. There's another one, the Red Tail Timber Harvest Plan, which is right above Camp 1 in Noyo. So they are taking aim at two of the places that people love to go. Our moratorium, our proposal is for a, it's three points, a one-year moratorium on logging in all of Jackson State. And the reason why we want this, besides just stopping logging, is, is that we feel that as a public land, we need we must have a mediated public dialogue and this dialogue needs to be held in an atmosphere of good faith without the disputed forest being cut in the meantime and the dialogue needs to have all the stakeholders present, present including interested members of the public and um, user groups who wish to take part mills and licensed timber operators the university-based researchers who use this as an outdoor laboratory of course cal fire management but Native American tribes with historical roots in this forest land. And there's more than we could say right now, and we're not, I I am not the representative to make this statement, but the Coyote Valley Band of Pomo is one of the tribes that historically lived and used this area. And they are engaged in government-to-government consultations with CAL FIRE as to the future of this forest. And they are, um, they... In 2011, Governor Jerry Brown uh, made an executive order that's still standing that gave all recognized Native American tribes in California sovereignty and the right to government government to government consultations. So this is really powerful. And our last point is just quickly the sourcing of grant and corporate funding for CAL FIRE and for this communities to conduct the necessary conservation work of wildfire risk reduction, road decommissioning, watershed restoration, all the stuff that they always said that they were paying for with timber revenue, and since we're asking for a moratorium, our good faith is that we should source this. As far as sourcing it, you know that's that's another question, and there is uh, there are lots of ways to get this money. But I am going to pass it over to Mr. Goldberg,er to Sam Goldberg,er who is has really taught me a lot about what's called ESG, Enviro Social Governance. <laughs> Sam.
4: Yes, sir. Well, uh, every day, in morning and evening, I take my dog out for a walk. And where I live is on the, uh, the western periphery of Jackson State Forest, a little community up north of Mendocino. And today, it was in thinking about this program, it was striking me the enormous genera- generosity of nature. Now, of course, it was a beautiful day, and the birds were singing, and the sun was shining, and so on and so forth. But I looked around at the trees, and I had my usual experience of being energized and clarified in my own feelings by virtue of my contact with them. And that's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of ecosystem services' values. Um, The ultimate value of... The ecosystem is the degree to which, by relationship with the healthy ecosystem, we find our place in the world. We come to discover who it is that we are in the grand scheme of things. The problem is that we have a different ethos that runs directly counter to that, in which nature is regarded as an infinite source of goods and an infinite sink of waste. And that's a very neurotic thing, and it's very tough on nature, and we're reaping the unfortunate rewards thereof. So there has come to be a discipline which is called ecosystem services valuation. It's something, the existence of which I thought was essential from an economic point of view, and then finally the, uh, the scientists started getting on board. There's a very active program in that at Stanford called
3: Looks like we lost him.
2: Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure what happened to Sam. He just blipped off. But uh, we're all here. And hopefully Sam will come back. Uh, and uh, probably it would be a good point to move on to uh, the folks uh, from EPIC, one of our great allies. I do want to say that uh, the Mendocino Trail Stewards started out essentially a year ago when we first got wind of, of these plans. And uh, in the course of this last year, we've uh, had the benefit of many, many powerful allies in this effort. And the Environmental Protection and Information Center has been one of those. So uh, I'll turn it over to Tom Wheeler.
5: Well, thank you. And it's been a great honor to work with the trail stewards and to meet so many uh, kindred spirits in the cause. Um, So Matt Simmons and I, uh, Matt is our legal fellow at EPIC. Hey, Matt. Hey, Tom. Uh, We are going to talk about the public trust doctrine. So Matt, how about I talk about the strict kind of legal public trust doctrine, and you can talk about kind of the more rhetorical public trust doctrine. Sounds good. All right. So you may have heard of the public trust doctrine. It has uh, become in vogue in the last couple of years because uh, there have been numerous attempts to establish a atmospheric public trust um, that needs to be protected. So this is an attempt to have judge created law to um to protect the atmosphere as a resource which should be managed in kind for all people. So the the public trust doctrine has at its root this idea that there are some things that just can't be owned. So this dates back to Justinian, the uh, Eastern Roman Empire uh, emperor, um, the Byzantine emperor, who said in his code of laws that by the law of things, By the law of nature, these things are common to mankind, the air, running water, the sea, and consequently, the shores of the sea. And so this has been passed down, this idea that there are some things that just can't be owned and that need to be managed for all people, has been passed down from Roman law to um, English law to American law. And there is a question of whether there are public trust resources that are at play here. So um, if you are familiar with a, a trust um, in a normal or other legal sense, you have a, a trust corpus, the thing that is the, uh, the, the item that is at the heart of a trust relationship. And then that is to be managed to usually produce revenue for its beneficiaries, the trust beneficiaries. Here, these things to see the air, they are to be managed by our government for all of us, for all people, both currently living and in future generations. And so there's a question of whether there is a public trust resource at play in the Jackson, and there might be. So it's possible that the trees themselves are a public trust resource. So even though trees can be privately owned, there is a potential for these trees to implicate another public trust resource, which is the atmosphere. So as long as trees are sequestering carbon and safely storing it inside of a forest, there is an interest in um, or there is a relation to the atmosphere and that the general public has an interest here. So uh, it's possible that even for some of these THPs that have already been approved, that CAL FIRE, if they haven't considered the public trust resource that is inherent in the trees and the carbon in these trees, that there is an opportunity to have another bite at the apple, so to speak, because if they haven't considered the public trust resource, then um, we may be able to uh, force a consideration of that in court. And this is something that EPIC is still exploring. Um There are other public trust resources that are also implicated by the management of JDSF forests. So things like water. Water is a really quickly and easily established public trust resource. This is something that has been found in numerous court cases and the management of our forests, our public forest lands will will affect this public trust resource. And so there should be a consideration of how forest management here implicates that public trust resource. Same with wildlife. Wildlife is recognized as a public trust resource. So, again, they need to have an explicit public trust consideration as part of this approval process. And CEQA does not provide that public trust consideration, the California Environmental Quality Act. uh, Excuse me for using acronyms, I'll I'll try not to do that. Um, So, the California Environmental Quality Act, that's that law that requires that you consider the likely environmental impacts of your actions. Here, uh, in the forestry context, this is accomplished through a timber harvest plan. If that timber harvest plan never explicitly considers the trust resources and the implications of trust resources, then it, it hasn't done that public trust analysis. And again, the trust is to be manned for all people for all times. So this is a different analysis than is usually performed in an environmental impact statement or in a timber harvest plan. So we have we have different responsibilities here. I should point out that the public trust doctrine is a ill formed part of our law. It is judicially created. It is part of our common law. It is not part of any code or, or is primarily not part of our, our code. And so the the exact parameters of the public trust doctrine are still in flux. And so we don't necessarily know what it means. And uh, with anything, because it is uh, so reliant on judges, the, the the luck of the draw with your judge would likely have a big impact on on whether you have a public trust uh, resource found and and what that would mean for um, that resource moving forward. But when we talk about public trust resources, what we're often talking about is not the law here, right? This is is some legal uh, nonsense that Matt and I paid a lot of money to go to law school for, and so we can recite some cases. But we often mean something different. And, and so, Matt, I, I want to turn to you to talk about that other kind of public trust that is being violated here by CAL FIRE.
6: Yeah, thanks, Tom. Um, so I think the really important thing to remember here is that Jackson is state land, right? It's, it's owned by the public. And so, you know, EPIC does a lot of advocacy around private timberlands, right? Where it's a private timber company owns the land and we believe they should be doing, you know, more to protect the environment on their land, right? And, you know, people can have an honest disagreement about, you know, how much the public should be able to control what a person does on their private land. But I think when we're talking about public land, like JDSF, the conversation really revolves around an entirely different pole, which is, how much should the public have a say on what we do with our public state lands, right? This is your land, you know, like Cal Fire manages it on your behalf. And, you know, I think like Chad was saying at the start of our program, you know, maybe in the 40s, the public was really all about timber harvesting and about, you know, demonstrating timber harvests. Even if that's true or not, you could debate. But here in 2020, I think you know, clearly, times have changed. Our needs as a state and as, you know, the public have changed. And the fact that CAL FIRE is getting all of this public opposition to this pl- these plans, and their response is, oh, we don't have to listen to you, we get to do whatever we want, you know, I think raises some serious questions about you know, what? what are they doing? What is the whole, what is this exercise we're going through of having the public comment on these plans if they're not even going to listen when there's public pushback? Um, and so I've been thinking a lot, and this isn't, you know, I went to law school, but this isn't a legal argument. It's a, you know, a political argument, which is how do we, how do we tell Cal Fire and the state that the people don't like what they're doing with their land? Um and, you know, I'm, I'm happy to talk about this more with everyone. But, um, you know, I'm also happy to, to move on to other stuff.
2: Well, let me let me uh, interrupt here briefly. Uh, I just want to let any listeners who might have tuned in soon, recently know that uh, this is the uh, Ecology Hour show. And um, tonight we're talking about uh, Jackson Demonstration State Forest and the planned logging, in- that is uh, imminent and uh we're speaking with the mendocino trail stewards and uh two of the representatives from the environmental and per- information and protections uh <laughs> environmental protection and information center epic and uh we're discussing uh what what uh we're trying to do uh to stop this logging which we we consider uh egregious uh, breach of the public trust. I wonder if this would be a moment to come back to Sam now that he's been able to rejoin us. Do you you want to kind of tie up what you were talking about, Sam?
4: Sure. Um, There's public trust and then there's global trust. And my hypothesis, the one that I started developing at the Department of Energy a long time ago, is that we all have a public trust in regards to nature. And also in regards to each other. And ESG is a way of talking about that. It has to do with environment, society and governance. And You can approach ESG theoretically. You can say, all right, well, let's look at all the benefits that we reap from the forest in economic terms. And there's some very sophisticated ways of measuring those things. And we can also talk about uh, social equity and what we lose by not practicing social equity and what we gain by practicing it. And then there's the issue of the transparency of governance. And once again, there are separate metrics that can be applied to evaluate those things. And in fact, that's gaining enormous traction on a global basis, uh, especially in Europe, where they didn't have Trump to contend with. Uh, and uh, that metric is being applied of necessity to every operating corporation. And that all in turn, directs money to those corporations that do the right thing and away from those that don't. So what's the relevance of that? Now I'm walking back along my my uh, road with my dog, and I'm enjoying the presence of the trees. And what I recognize in that experience is an enormous communion, potential communion that I have with the forest. And the stronger and healthier the forest is, the stronger my experience of it is. And that's the ultimate value that forests have. So valuable is that considered in certain parts of the world, notably Japan, that people make a deliberate practice of doing what they call forest walking. And there's been an increasing amount of research that says that it has real health benefits. You go out into the forest, you don't do anything in particular, you just listen and feel what the surroundings are telling you and the energy that you derive from them and the energy that they derive from you. Which is, of course, the rule and not the exception in nature. Everything is connected. And that's why Chad, although he got the time wrong, was mentioning this idea of the Declaration of Interdependence. Because the reality of life and the reality of nature is interdependence. And if you violate that interdependence, if you remove one portion for the wrong reasons, everybody is damaged by it. Everybody is damaged by it and nobody wins. If, on the other hand, you're intelligent about it, recognize the respect that is due to the natural world, and act within the confines that that natural world imposes by virtue of that respect, then you're on the right side, right track. And the crisis that we're in globally is a function of the fact that we've been ignoring that for far too long. And if we don't start paying attention to it, we're in deep doo doo. In fact, we're already in deep doo doo. So this is kind of the—you'll forgive forgive my saying so—psychological and spiritual perspective on why it is very important that CAL FIRE be reined in. Because what they are practicing is what a colleague of mine and I used to call ecopathia, which is a pathological relationship with nature, in which its destruction is regarded as somehow an inherent benefit. And the downside of it, the aftermath of it, is ignored. And that's a very dangerous thing to be doing at a time like this, especially to so important an ecosystem as the redwood forest which has the single largest uh, sequester, sequ- sequestration capacity of any plant on, in the world. And to slaughter, that is not a good idea. So I think I've said enough. I heard a little tone sing, and so I'm going to sign off.
2: Thanks, Sam. We really appreciate that. It, and and just so listeners know, and, you know not everybody is aware of how uh this forest is managed it might be surprised to find out that cal fire is managing this forest uh but that is the case the same cal fire that actually fights the fires that we would argue are exacerbated by the type of forest practices that they are actually approving to uh to happen in in the forest so there's a little aspect of it's instead of one hand washing the other we best basically have one hand lighting a fire and burning the other uh, is kind of what it looks like to us um, now oh, I would
3: I would like to mention to talk about that quickly yeah. um, so it's, it's Cal Fire is is very problematic that for a long time, they were California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection, which they still are, but they, right after 9-11, there was a lot of pressure from, you know, amongst all kinds of public agencies from the top to be more anti-terrorist, more law enforcement, more, you know, snappy and, and responsive to whatever kind of horrible situation was coming up. And they changed over to Cal Fire and... Um, at the same time, of course, there's many more fires. And so it used to be that it was a situation where forestry and fire protection made sense because most of the fires were forest fires. And now we're, we know that most of these mega fires are compound fires, that they, they're forest, they're grassland, they're brush, they're urban. And CAL FIRE is fighting them reasonably well, but they have, there's a group called Why Forests Matter, and Why Forests Matter is chaired by Richard A. Wilson, who was the head of, of California Department of Forestry and Fire. He hates the name CAL FIRE. And he was their chair from 1991 to 1999. He was their head. He, it, he and his group have really been pointing out that CAL FIRE needs to be split up because they, as you say, they have conflicts of interest. They have, you know, the, that they're fighting fires, but they're managing forests in a way that because commercial logging as we don't have time to go into now but we could, commercial logging seems to exacerbate fire danger and there's a growing body of evidence that it's a real problem. And that CAL FIRE reviews all timber harvest plans on on um, public and private lands that aren't federal in California. So essentially they write a timber harvest plan for Jackson and submit it to themselves. and it's kind of academic because they don't really deny any timber harvest plan that anybody puts forward, but they really don't deny their own. And you can tell by their actions in the forest that they've got timber harvest plans that haven't been approved, but they're already essentially working on them. They're already cutting roads. They're already tagging and doing everything they need to do because they know they're going to be approved. And so they, they are an agency that has conflict of interest, but is also very hard to criticized because as somebody in government told me, and I I can't say the person's name, but told me that they're afraid of criticizing Cal Fire because they're afraid then Cal Fire preferentially takes their fire services elsewhere. And that's tough. So we're gonna open it up to public, to, to comments, to calls. But if there's any time between now and the end, Uh, I would love to hear more from Matt about his public comments that he put a lot of time into for two of the timber harvest plans that are coming up.
2: Well, maybe we could briefly do that and then then go to uh, a caller, having callers.
6: Sure. So, um, you know, I on behalf of Epic and a bunch of other environmental orgs, uh, we submitted comments on the Mitchell Creek timber harvest plan. Um, which is one of the ones coming up. Um, and we're also going to be submitting comments on the Little North Fork Big River Timber Harvest Plan, um, which I think many people know because it's located uh, right next to the Woodlands um, area. Um, and so, okay, like, here's here's how environmental legal advocacy works 101. Um, California has a law called CEQA, uh that or, or sorry, the California Environmental Quality Act uh that allows the public to comment when the state is doing some sort of environmentally harmful action. And you're allowed to complain, you're allowed to point out things that they that you think they missed when they were planning it. Um, and then the state gets to read your comments and respond and change what they're doing or not. Um, and then if they don't listen to you and they don't respond in an adequate, adequate way, you can sue them. Um, and so I wrote my comments based on reading the timber harvest plans very closely and catching, you know, every little thing that they did wrong. And, you know, I think Cal Fire has gotten really used to writing these plans uh, without having any sort of watchdog on them. And so there's a lot of errors. There's a lot of sloppiness. There's a lot of places where they say, oh, we don't have to do this analysis yet, we'll do it later. Um, but then maybe they don't ever do that analysis, how would we know? Because it's not really in the plan. Um, I mean, I can, I can go, if anyone wants to ask about specific parts of the plan, I, I could talk about that. My, my comments ended up being over 50 pages long, so I, I definitely can't talk about all of them. Um, but I'm happy to answer questions. Yeah, uh, Tom.
5: So Matt, in, in reviewing these timber harvest plans, what was the most egregious thing that you found within either of the timber harvest plans? What just really made your blood boil?
6: Yeah, so um, one of the very first things that popped out to me uh, was that so every timber har- harvest plan is required to have a section about climate change right? Uh This is due to a recent change in the law that says that when the state of California does anything, they have to think about climate change, which is a very smart law. Thank you, uh, legislatures. Um, so the section in the timber harvest plans, both of them actually, and they're, they're copy pasted from each other. So there's there's some sort of master document that I think all the CAL FIRE RPFs are working off of. Uh, both sections uh, basically deny that humans cause climate change or they, they raise questions about it. They say climate change is happening, but it's unclear what's causing it. Um, and that, you know, contradicts like 40 or 50 years of science saying it's super clear what's causing it. Uh, you know, it's emissions and deforestation and all the other things we know are causing it. Um, and those are all human things. It's not, it's not, uh, it sounds like, you know, a really like a Republican answer, like, oh, you know, sometimes Greenland didn't used to be green or, or whatever. Um, so that was that was definitely the thing that jumped out to me as just, wait, we live in California and that's what the state of California is putting in its plans. Um, so it, it just it's, it's exemplary of just how out of touch with the public Cal Fire is when it comes to uh, timber harvesting.
2: Well, and how out of touch with uh, real science.
6: Yeah, that as well.
2: Yep. <laughs> so so um, should, should we open it up to callers? Or is this a good moment?
0: Sure. And the call-in yeah. number here is 707-895-2448. That's 707-895-2448 to call in and talk with the Mendocino Trail stewards.
3: While we're waiting, I just wanted to bring a, up a comment. Um, last weekend, we had uh, uh, Casper Community had a Zoom meeting. It's quarterly meeting. And uh, originally, the trail stewards were just going to present what we were doing. And then um, CAL FIRE was asked to be a part of it, which is great. And Helga Ng, who is the deputy, deputy Director of Resources for the state of California, which sounds like kind of a low title, but he's really high up. He's essentially the highest person in cal fire that relates to state forest and he talked and he gave a really good presentation but he said um we know the climate's changing but we don't know what it's doing which is patently false and um we he unfortunately left himself very open on a lot of fronts there he said that we have had we have a horrible fire situation confronting us and thus, we have to be prepared for more logging in the state forests because that is the way they see to mitigate it. And he showed a, a number of pictures of um, Big Basin Redwood State Park, which burnt 100% last year. But the damage was not the redwoods. All the large redwoods survived. The forest floor is actually healthier than it's been in a long time. The real damage was to the human-built park infrastructure. And... Now the studies are, they're looking at it and saying, wow, (laughs) yep, we need more prescribed burns and we need it now. Meanwhile, the bigger the trees, the more they survived. Tom?
5: Yeah, Chad, I, I think that you raise a really important point here. And that is how this timber harvest plan can relate to fire behavior in the future. And I suggest that this system that we have constructed is actually going to worsen fire behavior. And this is the reason why we know that the most fire resilient forests are mature forests. Uh, and there are a variety of reasons for this. One, the, the deep bark um, makes it extremely difficult to kill these trees as, as a result of fire. Uh, another reason is that these forests often have closed canopies, which do two things. It reduces the amount of uh, flammable material on the forest floor, the the herbaceous shrubby layer down on the forest floor, and it also keeps in soil moisture. And what Cal fire is proposing to do is effectively to take out the largest class of trees here. Um, they're going to take out the most fire resilient trees because those are the ones that are the most economical for them to to sell. And so what we're doing is we're we're making our forests less resilient to fire by taking out those trees that are uh, the most, um, most capable of fending off fire in the future. And what we're also doing is we're introducing a lot of light and a lot of heat into our forests. And both of those are going to create more extreme fuel conditions on the forest floor. And that's... That is problematic. So this this theory that um, that logging is going to improve fire behavior is unfounded. And it just boils down to kind of a reductionist way of thinking where every tree is fuel and and these big trees are just more fuel and therefore a higher risk, which is not how fires burn. And this is this is not good for the communities of coastal California to have these timber harvest plans come in. I think that we are worsening fire conditions. But the fear of fire is so extreme in our communities these days. Everybody knows somebody who has been affected by recent fires. You've either been evacuated from your home or you've had a friend who's been evacuated, you know. And Cal Fire and the timber industry is playing on these fears to justify their bad behaviors, there isn't good science to back up what they're doing in removing the largest category of trees and this this approach to towards management where we fund management by selling trees is is just perverse because it, it just further incentivizes taking out those bigger trees this is a state forest system Our our California state government is going to have a record windfall of profits right now. Um, And we have the money to pay for good forest management. Let's do that. And I I see that we have a caller. Uh, Alicia, can you patch him in?
0: Hello, caller. You're live on the air.
1: Yes, hi. This is Randy Dalton calling, and I grew up in Casper. Uh, And my grandfather helped to build the woodlands, the cabins that are down there in the 30s for the Civilian Conservation Corps. And I have some very serious issues with uh, the timber harvest plans that are being proposed. How about letting it be? I thought it was a set-aside. I thought that the state forests were, were habitat and, and uh, refuge for the critters and for the future for the children. My, my daughter, when I asked her as a child, what's the biggest difference between now and 100 years ago? And she said, shadow. And I didn't understand. I said, what do you mean? And she said, well, in the old days when the trees, when the big trees were here, the sun never hit the ground. Everything was, was un, in, in shadow. And the, the climate is changing specifically because of the overlogging. And I think that, that uh, it's really serious. There's a, pl- a point of no return, of critical mass, the tipping point where if you take so much and you keep taking and taking, admit you'll will, it'll never come back. And we're literally watching the desert-making of California. And I know that the Cal Fire, I've gone before in the past, to the Department of, of uh, Forestry, when it would be for Cal Fire, Cal Fire was, Cal Fire was uh, Department of Forestry. And there were timber harvest plans where you had to, you know, you, it was open for public comment like it is now. They've never talked about medicine plants, the Native American input, the, the basketry, the uh, yarrow, the yerba buena, the... Uh, Angelica Root. There are so, the yew tree, you know, there's so much value. And again, I want to get back to what this man was just saying about when the only value that is put is on the the production of how many board feet. How about the value of the plant and the right of standing just to be a tree in the forest? With not the monetary value, but the value for the for the birds, for the deer, for the people, for the soils, you know the whole notion of the erosion, the siltation that goes and, and floods the creeks with siltation, so that the salmon, when they come upstream and they lay their eggs, and they're covered up, and they can never hatch because there's six feet, six inches, you know, underneath silt. There's R- so Randy, many. Thank
2: you so much for calling, and your input is really important. I'm wondering if we can let, let a couple other callers come in just because we have short time.
3: Is that? Okay? Is there another caller waiting?
0: We only have... Yes, there is actually. <laughs> I was going to say we have one line in Ukiah, but it is ringing. Is- Hello, caller. You're live on the air.
7: Hi. I wanted to talk about Cal Fire a little bit. Can you hear me? Yes. Yes, we can hear you. Uh, it's a great program, and uh, I have a direct experience to report about Cal Fire's behavior on my friend's land in the Yolaboli, uh, adjacent to the Yolaboli Wilderness, uh, east of Covalo, where Cal Fire came in, <clears throat> told the residents that they had of that land that they had to leave, and because the fire was approaching, and basically what they did was they backburned her land, about 700 acres, and bulldozed it, uh, kind of unrecognizable from what it was. And this is after her and her land partner were given thousands of dollars by the state to do forest sustainable forestry and to you know bring back the land to an Eden that it once resembled, and they destroyed it. And uh, they have not been able at all to get any response from CAL FIRE or any recognition about what they did. You know, they've just been given the runaround. So I re- really appreciate what you're talking about. And if anybody in your uh, program there has a way for them to get a hold of somebody where they could get some uh recognition about what happened uh, I'd really uh, I'd like to hear about it and I really appreciate what you're doing and trying to save the Jackson demonstration for us thank you thanks for your call
0: all right we have another call good evening caller you live on the air
7: oh thanks hi folks this is Bill Lemus I'm up here in the state of Washington Chad and Paul, you're doing a great job, so thanks so much for bringing these issues to light. I wanted to know, Chad or or Paul, if you could speak to the issue of the the Washington State Supreme Court arguments that are being made about the public trust in the land here in Washington. As we came up the I-5 corridor, the uh, amount of timber harvesting, the clear cuts, were pretty instructive about what the state of Washington is feeling about, the amount of timber harvest that can happen on private property, but I was just wondering if you have any more information about the uh, situation at the uh, Washington State Supreme Court level. And I'll take my answer on the air. Thank you.
5: Hey, Bill. This is Tom Wheeler from Epic. From Epic, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, so I, I'm really proud to say that one of my good friends, Wyatt Golding, is the lead attorney on that case. Um, Wyatt and I worked together at the Washington Forest Law Center. So in, in Washington, there is explicitly recognized uh, trust obligation from the state on these on these lands. So most of their state forest lands were acquired uh, in the early 1900s when timber companies failed to pay their taxes. And so they reverted back to the state. And so now um, the state believes that they should uh, be managed to primarily fund uh, the the school districts and the other things that would receive the receipts from the the timber sales. And what just so perverse? Yeah, so it, it's managing you know for a good purpose to produce revenues for schools. I don't think any of us hate that, but what is perverse is that these are these. The, the state forests they're explicitly recognized in the Washington state constitution as being the property of all Washingtonians. They are to be managed for everyone. And so the question that is before the state Supreme Court right now is what does this mean? And um, Conservation Northwest, who is the lead plaintiff, they assert that what this means is that they should be managed for everybody. We should make considerations of wildlife, of carbon sequestration as part of this decision-making rubric and not just how much money can we produce for the local beneficiary. So it's similar to our situation here in that they are state owned forests. a little bit different because of the Washington state constitutional angle here, but certainly something that we can take inspiration from. And um, uh, this, this idea that Matt introduced earlier of kind of the rhetorical public trust doctrine. I think that that is really what is at play here for us.
0: All right, we do have another call, and the line to call here is 707-895-2448. Good evening, Collie. You're live on the air. Hey,
8: thanks for taking my call. It's a really great issue, and um, uh, I have a poignant question that I I think I may have asked uh, before last time this discussion was held on KZYXs. I think the biggest bite for us here in California is going to be the Air Quality Resources Board and although Randy I really like what you said basically most everything here is monetized and quantified so if, if we can modify, if we can monetize and quantify these trees and force the California Air Quality Resources Board to push companies that are Creating some of the largest carbon footprints in the world um, to rent this land or put it in trust for a hundred-year trust as a hundred-year trust, then we can get money from this acreage using the California Air Quality Resources Board, just like they did with the auto industry, and we just we need to call their bluff: the Exxon Mobiles, the Shell's. The Chevron's um, operating in California, and I'd like to get your comment on that. What you think about that? Thank you.
2: Anybody want to take that one?
5: Um, I can briefly take part of it, which is uh, forestry is already monetized in the Cal or by the California Air Resources Board, and the the selling of carbon credits does exist. I am unaware of the state taking any advantage of this, if if they can at all. Um, The selling of carbon credits for forestry projects is controversial. But here, I I think that we have an opportunity to do it in in a better, less controversial way. Um, So I, I think it could be something that could be pursued by CAL FIRE if they were hard up for money as a way to pay for the management of these forests. But one of the, the things about these forests and about the state of California, as I, I said before, is that we are flush with cash these days. And, you know, the, the good times may not always last, but we have the money to manage the state forest in a sustainable way. It wouldn't take a ton of money, a drop in the bucket relative to the larger state budget. If we have these goals to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by X percent by X date, uh it shouldn't be difficult for us to find some money, $15 million, $20 million, $25 million, whatever it is to sustainably manage these lands. Uh, but absolutely. The California air resources board is one way that we could monetize and, um, monetize the, the natural resource values that we get from our public lands.
2: But, you know, uh, we are looking at, uh, just four minutes left to the show. So, uh, I think we'll have to uh take a break on the calls and and do a little wrap up i'm going to send it over to chad
3: yeah this is chad and president of mendocino trail stewards and thank you all for your comments and your calls and i am going to talk really quickly about what you can do what you could do to help us and the best thing the first two most important things you could do is go to our website. Uh, www.Mendocinotrailstewards.org. And in the upper right corner of every page is a little green button that says petition. And I know a lot of people wonder if online petitions make any difference at all. And it really it depends on the situation. In this case, it makes a difference because it shows the state lawmakers that we're working with, that there are numbers of people behind us. And because this isn't a petition that actually matters as far as going to um, you know, put something on the ballot. I encourage everybody of all ages to do it. I mean, the, the kids are the ones who are the most affected by this. And write your comments. Um, look on our website. we have something called the Forest Voices page under photos and va- Photos and Voices. And it is a long, long page of beautiful, powerful comments that came from our petitions. Another thing that we really need you to do is to write letters. Go to the Take Action page on our website where it shows you who we would love you to write to. And Right now, the people who are really important are the County Board of Supervisors, uh, State Senator Mike McGuire, Assembly Member Jim Wood, and Gavin Newsom, and say that we support the Mendocino Trail Stewards uh, three-point proposal, moratorium, dialogue, Sorry, my son just jumped in. Moratorium dialogue and funding for conservation. Um, the other thing is really different that is super helpful is we are having a trailathon, a a fundraiser that is socially distanced, um, kind of like an aquathon where you swim laps and get pledges, but in this case it is doing whatever you would you might do in the trails and it's to benefit us and it's to benefit the mendocino woodlands who are struggling through the pandemic so the big river Trail trailathon check out on our website it's right there thank you all oh wait we have one more minute no yeah, yeah. yeah we okay can. so um well, this is uh we were trying to figure out how to do an event during this this pandemic and the socially distanced part means it's for the entire month of may so you can take you can do it on one day you can do it the whole month you can do it wherever you want to if you happen to be in uganda or in new york or in casper and just but look at the the our website has a link to the trailathon website and it will tell you everything you need to know so thanks paul thanks alicia thanks tom thanks matt thanks sam um this is been a big struggle but it's been a great struggle and i appreciate having all of you guys as part of it thank you so much thank you